Hello and welcome to the Missions Table. My name is Nathan Herod, missionary to the nation of Spain. Pull up a chair and sit down with us and let's talk about missions. Majority of what I've learned about ministry has been sitting at the table. And I want to invite you to sit at the table with us today and let's talk about missions. Hello and welcome to the Missions Table. I'm Nathan Herod, missionary to the nation of Spain. And I'm joined today by missionary Joshua Tingley, missionary to the nation of Haiti. And then here in just a moment, we will introduce our special guest as we talk about missions here at the missions table. So glad for everyone who is connected with us today. Thank you for downloading this podcast. Thank you for leaving comments as well, telling us how you enjoy the podcast. But uh, before we introduce our uh, guest, let's go around the table and find out what's been going on. Brother Tingley. Uh, has joined us today. Tell us what's going on. So in our world, we have launched into deputation, um, which is, a, you know, an integral part of being a missionary. Uh, this is our first official deputation. And so we have um, basically 18 months to travel and to raise partners, raise our project funds. And it's going, it's going very well. The, the Lord has blessed us. We are raising uh, all of our project funds um, have just a little bit left to raise for our kids' education fund, which is what we're working on right now, um, and we're we're on track. Uh, we've been on the road basically two months now, two and a half months, and that's going very well. So we're thankful. Um, we've been visiting churches around the U.S., and um, I'm happy to say that we have a body of believers in the U.S. and pastors that love God and mm -hmm. love people. And so it's been it's been awesome to be a part of that and to kind of experience church and uh, different in different states and um, see what the Lord is doing all across um, all across the United States. Of course, we've been traveling around the world and seeing what the Lord is doing. So it's nice to take that what's been happening here right. in, in Andorra and in France and, and Haiti and all those things and take it to uh, the churches in the U.S. and present, hey, this is what's going on. And then hearing, hey, we're having revival there, too. So Amen. revivals around the world. And here in a couple of weeks, you and your family will be at General Conference. Yes. And um, so if there are pastors that are listening that want to connect with the Tingleys and you want to have them uh, for a deputation service in the next 12 months, they yeah. will be in the States traveling and will be able to minister in your church and uh, present the need and the burden of Haiti. Yeah. Coming to a section near you. <laughs> so connect with them uh, as soon as possible. Here in Spain, uh, in Barcelona and in Madrid, uh, here lately. Uh, great things have been happening. Um, we just had our training uh, in Barcelona and in Madrid for our GATS training. GATS is the Global Association of Theological Studies, and that is the program that we have through Global Missions to try to standardize all of our Bible schools around the world so that when someone graduates from a Bible school, um, we know what that means. In the past, a Bible school um, a Bible school graduate from one country that could have meant that they went to a seminar. They went, they went for two weeks or another country. It may have been, they went to Bible school for two years. So under the global association of theological studies, it's a standard, not standardizing where those who graduate from that uh, program um, have the same requirements. So that first level of graduation, we have 750 hours of classroom hours that they have to take and that level. Um, and so one of the requirements is to have training for our teachers. So we had 
three days of training this last week in Barcelona for teachers, and then three days of training in Madrid for our teachers. And in total, we had 56 people that received that training That's awesome. um, that are now prepared to teach in our Bible schools. We have Bible school in Madrid, a Bible school in Barcelona, and a Bible school in Valencia. And uh, now, and also uh, correspondence courses um, where people are taken. So we're excited about uh, what God is doing, and we're excited about the training that's beginning to happen uh, with our Bible school. So thank you to everyone who has been a part of giving and helping uh, with our Bible schools around the world. Yeah, I love that. I love that that they make that available in every language, you know, and if it's not in that language, they'll put it, they'll, they'll get it translated. And so uh, it's great standard program uh, that we're using in Haiti as well. Um, and so I, I do want to give a shout out um, to, I, we're going to say Brene Don uh, gave us a review on July 10th, uh, said wonderful. And then through this podcast, uh, my vision and, bur and burden for mission continues to grow. I have been delighted and encouraged to hear so many wonderful testimonies from uh, seasoned missionaries. Thank you for your burden and pulling out a chair for me at the table. Much love from this IBC student. Um, and then was asking if we would be at Global Connections Conference. Yeah. But thank you for leaving us a five-star review, um, and uh, thank, thank you for listening. And uh, if you are uh, listening for your first time, uh, give us a like, give us a, a, a review, um, an honest review, but hopefully a five-star review, uh, and share it with somebody. Um, share, Tell somebody about the podcast and, and where they can find it. We, you can find it anywhere podcasts are available. Uh, many of our uh, earlier season episodes are available on YouTube for video as well. Um, so, yeah, look us up and uh, like, subscribe, download, set it to auto download uh, so you don't get caught in a place with no service. Uh, you already have it downloaded. You can listen to it. So. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for, for subscribing. And today we're so excited to have our guest today. We have missionary Ken Burgess from the nation of Spain who resides in the city of Madrid. He's uh, our friend, our co-worker, and Brother Ken Burgess and his wife Kay have been serving in global missions since July of 1989. And after serving 27 months on the Associates in Missions program, they were appointed to the nation of Argentina back in October of 1991. And uh, so they served there for 21 years in various capacities, including director of education, district superintendent, and finally as president of the national work there. And then uh, after Argentina, they went in 2010, they were appointed to the nation of El Salvador, where they served as missionary supervisor and department of education. And um, finally, uh, in February of 2015, they came and were appointed to the nation of Spain. Uh, where they began their sixth term as career missionaries. And since their arrival, they have served as pastors of Tabernacle de Vida in Madrid or Life Tabernacle Church. And he also serves as the district superintendent and has served as the director of education in the past. And they are a great part of the revival that God has given to the nation of Spain. And we're thankful that the Burgesses are here in Spain. And I don't know why we have waited this long to have Brother Burgess on the podcast, uh, but we're having him here today. Thank you, Brother Burgess, for being with us. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to uh, have a place at the table here today and hopefully uh, uh, talk about what we all love so much, and that is 
global mission. So I appreciate you letting me be a part of this today. Oh, thank you. And you bring a different level of experience uh, to the table today. And uh, I know personally, and I'll just say this personally, um, uh, the experience of Brother Burgess has been invaluable to me personally, uh, serving here in Spain and his experience as president of a, of a large work. Um, his experience in, in ministry has been a great blessing to my family and I, and I have appreciated these past few years being able to work together. And so we bring you a veteran missionary today who has many years of experience, not only uh, in one place, but in South America and Central America and now in Europe. So he comes from a different perspective than many missionaries or even what we have. Um, and so we're glad that uh, he's he's with us today. So let's talk it out, Brother Burgess. Let's just talk about the beginning. Um, how did it come to pass about serving on AIM? And I believe that was in Argentina when you first served in AIM, on AIM. Well, actually, my first country was Paraguay. And uh, okay. we had just graduated from Bible school and uh, were praying for the will of the Lord, trying to uh, decide. I knew that I had a call of missions on my life, but uh, I, I felt like that uh, it would be way down the road when I was uh, mature and had my act together and and uh, knew all the ins and outs of missions and that stuff, that kind of thing. And so uh, when we graduated, we were just uh, praying, looking for uh, an opportunity and we were contacted and asked to be furlough replacement missionaries uh, in the city of Asuncion, Paraguay. And so uh, we went basically just a couple of kids that were looking for a place to work and, and open for the will of the Lord and uh, talked about we'll go and, and work for a few years. And here we are uh, 33 years later, <laughs> still in this and uh, still learning. But uh, Paraguay was our first. We, we were in Paraguay for a year and a half. And uh, then we transferred from there to Argentina. And Argentina was our uh, our burden. That was the, the country that uh, I had lived in as a missionary kid. And so uh, it was a special place in, in my heart. And uh, we... Uh, when we arrived in Argentina, began to work in the Bible school and uh, applied, and uh, here we are. It's amazing, and in, in your in the thirty three years working and service with Global Missions, uh, so that's this is three three different transitions, three different changes. Then Paraguay, Argentina, El Salvador, Spain. And uh, so how, what was, how did the Lord signal it was time for transition in each of those things, in each of those times? Well, they've all been similar, but they're, they're all distinct. Uh, when we went to Paraguay, we were, again, just young kids uh, wanting, ex wanting the experience, uh, just like most AIM couples, uh, trying to find the will of the Lord and um, just looking for a place to, to work. And um, fortunately for me, the Bible school in Paraguay uh, was non-existent. In fact, it started uh, just a couple of months after we got there. I've, I've often uh, 
said that I was the co-founder of the Bible school. Brother Burr is the founder of the Bible school, but uh, we were there with him from the beginning. And uh, so Paraguay was uh, a great experience for us, but it was really not the country that we felt a call to. So uh, when the door opened in Argentina, that was that was the country of, uh, again, my, uh, my youth and, and where we dreamed of working and actually thought we would be there until the coming of the Lord. And uh, along, I guess it was uh, around 2008, uh, the Lord began to deal with me and uh, he had uh, given me a plan. I was the president of the work and he had given me a plan uh, of growth for the work. God was blessing. We were having a, a tremendous spirit of unity, tremendous growth and uh, he began to deal, deal with me, and I won't take a lot of time to, to go into details, but I am a hard-headed person, so um, it took a while. But no, uh, no. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he dealt with me for, for a couple of years and uh, let me see that it was time to for the work to transition. And looking back, it was, uh, it was time for them, it was time for us, and so... Um, in uh, February of uh, 2010, uh, we resigned as missionaries, and and uh, I resigned as the president of the work, and um, really had no plan. I, I I didn't know exactly what God was going to do with us, and we were praying, and I'd talked to my elders, and I knew that I had I'd done the right thing, although the enemy was uh, very uh, strongly attacking us and and questioning if I had if I had done things correctly, but I knew it was the will of the Lord, and He has confirmed that over and over through the years. But at the moment, it was a very difficult decision for me. I love leadership, I love Argentina, I love being a part of the the revival there, and uh, thankfully the revival is still going strong. Uh, but I just uh, I knew that there was a change coming. And uh, we were contacted and asked to go to El Salvador. Uh, it was a totally different uh, type of country. It was a, uh, one of the largest works in the United Pentecostal Church. And so uh, I went there to uh, basically help them uh, turn around their, their Department of Education. And uh, they had not had a missionary for several years. And um, through different circumstances and difficulties, uh, the Department of Education uh, had uh, had dwindled, and when I when I arrived there in uh, early part or later part of 2010, um, there were only 42 students uh, involved in training in, in the whole nation, and we're talking a work of of thousands. And so uh, yeah. it was a huge task, but I knew we were in the will of the Lord, and so uh, the transition was. It was different. It was difficult, but it was. We knew we were doing the right thing. And uh, later on, you asked about changing countries. Um, I've always been a, I guess you could say, a task-oriented person, and uh, I like to have a, a job. I like to know what what I'm doing. And when uh, we finished restructuring the Bible school, the Department of Education in El Salvador, um, I just felt in my spirit that uh, there was another challenge 
yet ahead for us and been to pray and and uh, the Lord opened the door for us to to come to Madrid. I never dreamed that I would ever be a missionary in Europe, but here we are and we love it. So each time has been a dis- different, but yet there's been confirmation uh, in the Holy Ghost that this was the will of the Lord. It's amazing. You know, uh, kind of a side story, and I think I've mentioned this to you before, but even when I was an aimer here in Spain 18 years ago, Brother Markham, who was missionary in Portugal, who had uh, uh, knew your family, knew you very well, he told me several times, he said, Nathan, you need to you need to go down and work with Burgess. I, I got the, uh, this, this Brother Burgess. I didn't, I had never met you, but Brother Markham uh, was, uh, he was trying to convince me to go and to, to work in Argentina uh, yes. while I was still an aimer in Spain. He was saying, you need to go work with Brother Burgess in Argentina. Never imagined that it would be full circle. And here you are working. We're working together here in the nation of Spain. It's funny That's how right. that works out. It's amazing. Thank God and Brother Markham. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was that was a, uh, a very brief kind of overview of the places that you've served. But I think there's there's a lot of uh, experience in each of those places that I'd really like to expound on. Um, I think maybe going all the way back, starting in Argentina. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but was it during your time that you were there in Argentina that the work was nationalized, or was that before you got there? Actually, the the work in Argentina has been nationalized for many, many years, and uh, we the work was actually forced into nationalization uh, before it was ready, uh, mainly because of, of the laws of the government. And so gotcha. um, we were a nationalized work. In fact, uh, Brother Crosley, who was the president of the work prior to 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 my being elected, um, he was even elected. So we're going way back into the uh, wow, early early eighties. Uh, we were having election elect electing our own leader, not so much because the work was mature, but that's just the way the laws were structured structured, and uh, we were kind of forced into a nationalization. Gotcha. Um, can you explain a little bit of the nationalization process um, as from a missionary standpoint, why, like why we're trying to reach that state, um, kind of the importance of nationalization, you know, when it's when, when the, the work reaches that, because you were a part of the nationalization here in Spain, um, yes, but sir. you had that experience from Argentina. So can you kind of give just some insight, um, you know, where we're working in Haiti, it is not a nationalized work. So can you, and somebody might not know what that means when we say, is the work nationalized or not nationalized? Can you kind of just give us, first of all, an overview of what it means to be nationalized, why it's important, um, and kind of your viewpoint on that? Well, nationalization, in, in essence, is when a work uh, gets to the place where it is self-propagating, self-supporting. Uh, where they elect their own officials, basically a self-governing work. Um, obviously, it's it's uh, still tied into the uh, global missions and through global council. Uh, we're 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 tied in, but it it becomes more like a sister organization 
um, and and works independently on its own to uh, to grow and and to um, and to support itself. So that's you know to give you an analogy, simple is is your children. You know you you have a couple of babies and and the idea of them being on their own right now is an impossibility. They're they're children, but um, right. when you have four and five year olds that are running around the house, that's uh, your job is to train them and to help them, to correct them when they're wrong. You provide for them, you instruct them, uh, and you talk to them about uh, being big boys and big big girls and and how they need to how need how they need to act and and as time goes on, uh, they begin to mature and hopefully capture that that idea and and there comes a time when uh, those children want to spread their wings they become adults and and they want to be on their own it's the natural process of life and so the same thing applies to a a, a work and you, you when you go in as missionaries we are in a in essence you're you're the parent you're uh, you're there to provide for them to instruct them to protect them uh to help them uh you uh, we do a lot of work with uh, legalizations and 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 working with the government documents and and that sort of thing. Uh, but there's in the back of your mind that hope that uh, this work is going to mature, that it's going to grow, uh, that it's going to come become responsible, that they are going to capture the vision and and take it from you. So uh, basically, in essence, nationalization is is really just a recognition, a recognition of maturity and adult adulthood and saying this work is in a place right now where it can, uh, it can provide for itself and govern itself. And, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll always have a missionary presence help there, but uh, yet we're not there in the same capacity as before. Gotcha. And would you say that like children, each work, um, it's it's dependent on the work on when when that uh work it becomes of uh of age because i know for for kids it depends on the, the child oh, yeah. on when they can be responsible enough to be considered an adult and do their own thing um but i'm sure there's been works like in haiti uh the work is is not a young work but it's not a nationalized work either um and then the work that you were in in argentina was because of legal reasons so there's there's different reasons at different times to become nas- nationalized. It sounds like, um, is that the end goal? Is that always the end goal? I, I believe it should be. Yes, sir. I, uh, I yeah. again, you're right. Everything is different. Everything, is, uh, every work is, is relative as far as, uh, the maturity, the growth, the finances. Sometimes the work, um, has the, the, the spiritual maturity, but they just don't have the, the financial capacity. Um, th- there's all different factors. And, you know, again, com- yeah. in the comparison of children, uh, I've met 10 year olds that were very mature and then I've met 25 year olds that were less mature than 10 year olds. So it- it's, uh, it's all relative and, and you deal with them on an individual basis. That's why, uh, in, in the nationalization process, there's really are, uh, there's really no set standard of rules and, and, and the filters that 
that a work passes through from, from stage to stage uh, is, is very important because sometimes um, a work can't see its own immaturities or its own deficiencies and, and we need help from, uh, from outside to help us uh, put, it, put the things in order and so that they can yeah. get to the stage. But the end goal, yes, should always be nationalization. Maybe this is something that even you could answer, Brother Herod, because you guys have worked together here in Spain to make that happen. What is that? What was the process like? I know I came in afterwards. Yeah. Uh, I was here during um, where we where where you guys took from one large nation and and created three districts. So that was kind of a, a monumental thing that happened that I got to be a part of an experience. But before that, you guys were working on this nationalization process. I mean, leadership, how, how, what does that look like? Or what's some practical, this will be the last thing about nationalization that we can move on, but kind of what is the, what does that look like from your guys' well, like when you're working on this? Here in Spain, nationalization had been in the, the, the people's minds for a while. And they had been, um, I guess, as, using the analogy that Brother Burgess is using as, a, as kind of a teenager going up and saying, oh, I want to do this. I want to, I, I'm ready to have the keys to the car, yeah, exactly. you know? And, and so it was one of the, in the place here in Spain, we came to a point where they had reached that point where they wanted to do it. And so I remember sitting down, brother Burgess and I sit down and brother Burgess, he told me, he said, Hey, he said, Hey, Bo, <laughs> he said, we can either, he said, he said it's in their minds that they want to do it. And we were both in agreement that as a work, we weren't necessarily ready to do it. Or as a work, we hadn't reached a maturity level uh, that, okay, the work is ready. And Brother Burgess said, hey, Bo, we can either we can either fight against them saying they're not ready, but they're, they, it's already in their mind to do it, or we can help them through the process to do it. And so... Uh, it was during that process of time that that we talked to the board and said, okay, if this is something that the the body wants, the, the the assembly of ministers is desiring to do, let us guide you through the process uh, of getting our constitution ready. Um, and it was something with Brother Burgess, because Brother Burgess had kind of gone through, he, he's a constitutional guy. He was like dead set against sitting down and doing the work of writing the class. <laughs> and he was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not, I'm not gonna, unless brother Markham tells me to do it. You tell me to do it. We're not doing it. <laughs> and so, and so at, the, at one point he was saying, we, we've got to help them. If this is something we've either got to help them because fighting that they've reached a level of maturity that it's, it's, it's going to happen. So let's, yeah. let's make the decision to help. And so uh, we spent, uh, I remember the first time we sat down with our current constitution, I was sat down in the living room of brother Burgess. If I remember correctly, brother Markham was even there, yes, um, sir. as, and, and, and brother Burgess sat there protesting. He was protesting the whole time he was pulling his laptop out and I was like, no, let's just look, let's see what we got to start doing. And he was protesting as he opened up his laptop. And, uh, as we began to go through, and Brother Markham was kind of there in the background saying, you guys can do it. You guys can do it. He wasn't going to, he wasn't helping us do it, but he was encouraging us that you guys can do it. And in the end, it was Brother Burgess who, who did 99% of the writing 
99.9 probably of the writing. There was things that the rest Which of the board. Which is why I was and, protesting. I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> so I have, I, I have since said that Brother Burgess has a gift. Yeah. It's one of the gifts. I don't know if it's the gifts of the spirit, but he does have a gift of, of writing and, and seeing the law and seeing constitutions and, and, Without his leadership in that area, we wouldn't have been ready to, you know, do because his mind, Brother Burgess's mind, knowing him now these last few years, his mind is, is a, he has a lawyer's mind that can see the holes and say, okay, we need to do this. And so it was a process then of preparation of, of our Constitution saying, okay, what do we need to do? We need to make sure that, you know, we're able to sustain, sustain, sustain the work financially. We need to make sure that, that the structure that we have can handle it. And we went through a major restructuring that took a process of a couple of years. And the work was willing to be led through that process because they could see, okay, they could see we weren't quite ready. And they allowed us to kind of guide them along um, until that nationalization process and that kind of final place of, of uh, electing our own our our own president, and all of our national leaders now are elected, and we're now self self propagating, self uh, sustaining, um, and we elect our own leadership. So awesome. it, that's that's a a very sn small <laughs> snippet of the whole story, but yeah, that's, uh, that's hours and hours and hours and hours of work in a few sentences. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many how many hours you would even estimate that you set down with constitutions, not only our, you know, our constitution, but reading other constitutions from other, um, works. I don't know how many hours brother Burgess put in. Yeah. I would prefer not to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So in Argentina, you also served as a director of education and then again in El Salvador specifically to help with education. Yes. Sir. Um, and that I'm, I'm guessing that's Bible school education. Uh, in the nation? Yes, that's the, the Department of Ed Education is the umbrella. Uh, the, the biggest task would be the Bible schools, but sometimes okay. uh, in the, the Department of Education, that could even include stuff like printing tracks. Uh, it all depends on the country. Uh, but yes, I've uh, been the director in, in three different nations now. So um, the question would be then what I mean, obviously you came in to, you, you were saying to help revamp uh, the education. The What would you say some some principles um, that you found in your time serving and helping? What's, what's some good principles for um, governing principles for building a successful uh, or sustainable education program um, that, that you found worked for you, that you were able to bring from Argentina and help in El Salvador? What's some of those good governing principles uh, that we're looking for um, as a young man going into a work that has a, an established Bible school, uh, but planning on being heavily involved in, um, what's some tips and advice and, that you could give? Well, I think the, the key to everything, uh, the successful education department is, is cooperation. You have, to, uh, you have to have the cooperation and the blessing of your leaders because everything... Um, you know, if, if you're not supported in what you're doing, uh, it, number one, it's not going to grow. It's not going to be successful. So uh, recognizing that uh, 
discipleship is one of the key elements of the Great Commission. And our job is to not only to evangelize, to preach, but to make disciples. And the only way you can do that is through uh, a, a good department of education, through a good Bible school. And so the, to me, the key element, uh, first of all, is to get the cooperation of your, your national leaders. And, and that's usually, or that should be very easy. They all have that vision. And, and, and all of the nations that I've worked in, that has been a, a tremendous burden of our leadership that our Bible school should grow and should be successful. Uh, but then after you, you have the cooperation of the leaders, of your national leaders, then you also have to have the, the cooperation, uh, the support of, of your pastors, because that's where, you, that's where your students come from, from, uh, from the local churches around. And, and so uh, you've got to get your pastors on board to uh, buy into the idea. And, and thankfully, most, uh, uh, most pastors are kingdom-minded and, and want to see the growth. Uh, so to me, the first, the first level uh, of, of starting a, a good Bible school or maintaining a growing Bible school is, is simply that, the cooperation. And then uh, to me as a director, I think one of the, the biggest jobs, and I, I spoke to uh, the director that we have now here in Spain uh, and uh, uh, encouraging him because uh, your job is to recruit. You are a promoter. In fact, you are always promoting. Bible, growing a Bible school is not like growing a church. You can grow a church and uh, you baptize somebody and they get the Holy Ghost and, and, and your dream is that they stay members of this church for, for years to come. Well, Bible school is totally different. It's a, rev, a revolving door that you're going to have uh, students come in and yeah, you're going to train them, but uh, the idea is for them to go out and, and to work. So you, you're always uh, renewing and the only way you're going to grow it's real simple. You've got to have more, more students enrolled this year than you had last year. That's that's the only way you grow, and so it's 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 not rocket science. You you have to promote. You have to, um, you you have to be in the churches and and uh, again, you know, it, it goes back to having the support of the pastors, and uh, I felt like uh, that was one of the reasons why. Uh, I recently resigned as the director of education here in Spain, uh, not because I, I no longer love uh, the job or, or I'll, I'll always love it. It's been a huge part of my ministry and, and uh, always will. But I felt like it was time for a younger man uh, to come in and, and have the uh, be closer to the students and, and have uh, have a be a better promoter, someone that can actually promote with uh, the modern technologies of today, and uh, not uh, based on the the what used to what used to work years ago. And uh, so, thankfully, Brother Driggers is doing a fantastic job. As soon as he gets back into Spain uh, and and is able to dedicate full time, we're going to see a tremendous growth. In our Bible schools, not only in the schools that we have, but in the additional schools. So I'm very excited about that. But promotion uh, is key to all of that. And then, you know, finally, and I, I say finally, it's, it, 
probably number one, uh, you've got to have a good Bible-based curriculum that's exciting and, and uh, uh, build a team of teachers that, that people really want to listen to. And uh, that's, that's key. But uh, if you do that, uh, your Bible school will grow. People want to learn. Yeah. Yeah, we have a great, and I, I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, we just had our uh, training, um, the training in Barcelona here at our local church here, and then in Madrid at, at the church that Brother Burgess pastors. And uh, there's really a great excitement happening even right now. And I think, I believe, uh, if I'm, my numbers are correct, we have, we're about to start Bible school here in, in the next couple of weeks or and uh, again, we have around 80 or so prospective students that are going to be enrolled in some sort of one of our Bible school programs. And I spoke with Brother Driggers, who's our new director of education, and he's he's wanting to push it the next year for 100. Can we hit 100 students yeah. throughout the nation of Spain? So That's it's awesome. it's exciting and, and uh, part of the work. It's part of uh, of training the next generation of people that are going to pastor. And, and so it's such an important important uh, part of the work of any work, I believe, yeah. in our Bible schools around the world. And it is a big part of missionary work. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's like required yeah. for every mission work to have some type of Bible school. That's the goal. Yeah. Now, not everyone has yet, but... Yeah, to like work towards having that. And so when you have the, well, what does a missionary do? A part, a big part of it is the education because we're training pastors to be pastors and Right. And new con- well, we're training new converts to be pastors. <laughs> we're training um, new converts to to come in and, and be grounded in the word yeah. in the work. Um, so, and in the case here in Spain, you know, when the Bible school first started here, really it was it, it was Bible school, but it was new converts training, right? Because it was <laughs> it was everyone was new, the work was new, mm-hmm. and so the what we I believe. We are starting to transition. We're trying to get that transition of where it's not new converts yeah. training. This is ministerial training. Right. And so I think every work has to make that curve. And so it's something that in different countries you see in the beginning, it may be it's called it's Bible school, but it's getting people grounded in the doctrine. It's yeah. it's every it's for everybody. But then you see other more advanced works and well, the Burgess could speak to that this because he's visited even other Bible schools around the world where They've started to hunt where it started to be. Now, this is not for everybody. This is just those who feel that call to be pastors. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, uh, and as if somebody's listening, um, this is something that people can get involved in. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there have been people that have come from the States and gone all over the world to teach at Bible schools. Yeah. So if that is your gifting, um, now here in Spain, it's a little difficult. I've, I've never got to be a part of it because when I first got here, I didn't speak any Spanish. Um, and you would have to, you'd have to speak Spanish cause they're not going to give you a full-time translator for that. <laughs> but, um, but we do have, we, we'd have had yeah. pastors come, yeah. um, who speak Spanish, who come and do a week or two weeks of Bible school training. Absolutely, yeah. So if there's a listener and you want to be involved in Bible school, I'm sure there are opportunities. There's opportunities here in Spain yeah. and probably in other countries as well for you to come in for a week or two weeks and teach a class and help impact yeah. that nation through teaching. And I'll, I'll put a shameless plug in for Haiti right here. I know this is technically the Spain podcast this time, but um, 
you know, we, we need workers in our Bible school. Um, right. So if you wanting to go to a third world country or just get involved in a Bible school somewhere, uh, we need help. So, so if you can speak Creole, if you can speak Creole or French, <laughs> um, or want to learn either of those, <laughs> uh, they, you do have translators though that can yeah. help. Yeah. We actually have full-time translators at our, at our Bible school, but, um, the door is open. I'm opening the door right there for anybody listening. So get a hold of Josh Tingley and tell him <laughs> when you want to come be a part of the Bible school in Haiti. Yeah. I had the opportunity last year, last yeah. August, a year ago, uh, uh, this last month to see their, yep. their Bible school and be a part yeah, we of did their, their opening day. Yeah. That yeah, was awesome. And then I did their graduation, which is in May. Um, it was great. Yeah. So brother Burgess, you've, you've had the opportunity, uh, to be a missionary in three different regions. And he started out in an aim there in Central America and then South America. So you've worked in Europe and Central America and South America. What's the, what's the biggest differences between being a missionary in these different regions? And here for the Tingley, this is interesting for him as well, because he's, he yeah. kind of knows Europe. <laughs> now he's going to a third world country. What's your perspective as, as a missionary working in those different fields well to me the biggest thing that i've had to adjust to in changing fields is the culture um you know i know when you look at the um the infrastructure of a third world country and you compare it to a place like europe spain uh there's a lot of differences but those differences um really haven't impacted us as much as uh, just trying to understand the culture and uh, even going from Argentina to, to El Salvador. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking Latin countries, uh, both of them, but I discovered that there was a huge difference between uh, the culture of Argentina and the culture of El Salvador. So I, I think anybody, especially those that are thinking about going into missions, uh, you need to become uh, a student of the culture. You need to learn the, the culture of the people, be able to understand the people. And um, I've, uh, I, I really feel like our job is very similar to the 12 spies that, that Moses appointed to go to the, uh, to go spy out the promised land. Uh, he told them to go and uh, find out how to conquer the, the nation, uh, not to go and find out if it could be conquered. And I feel as men and women of God, our job is to to go uh, around the world, wherever it is that God calls us. And when we get there, uh, we need to investigate how to do the work of the Lord, because he's already promised end time revival. He's already promised that he uh, would pour out his spirit. So we know the revival's there. We know it's it, it it's it's waiting. But uh, our job is is to discover and uh, with the spirit of Joshua and, and Caleb to say, yes, this is, this can be done. We can have revival. And, um, I, w- I would encourage anybody that goes to uh, a new work or a new country to take a moment and familiarize yourself. And yeah, I've been here eight years now going on eight years and uh, I'm still learning the culture of Spain. I, I mm-hmm. no doubt will, continue to learn the culture and uh, as long as I'm here because that's to me very very important that that we understand uh, how they feel 
and and what uh, what makes them tick, if you want to say it that way, that that to, right. so that we know how to help them and and reach them. Yeah, I mean, from each nation, you know, especially in Europe and Central South America, the cultures are so vastly different. Um, going from Spain, even from the U.S. to Spain was kind of a eye-opener for me. Mm-hmm. But now going from these nations and, and experiencing Europe, going to a place like Haiti, you know, I don't understand the culture yet because it is so different. And part of that learning the culture is learning the language. Um, so, you know, and I, I, I like what you said about Joshua and Caleb, cause you know, there were 10 that said it can't be done. 10 that saw all the problems that, that were there and said it can't be done. But Joshua and Caleb saw the same problems yeah. that everybody else saw. They were seeing the same thing, but they said, you know, no, it can be done. And so we need more people that can see the good and the bad and say, no, we can, we can build a church here. We can, you know, the promises of God are, are strong enough or greater than the problems that are there. Uh, well, what you say, I think that's great revelation and great insight. Um, Joshua and Caleb, their job was to go. They already had the promise that it was, yeah. that it's yours. Their job was to go and see how. And I think you can apply that to any field. We have, we do have that promise and that's such good insight is it, every field is different. Yeah. Everything's different. We know God has revival for it, but let's go in and let the Holy ghost lead us into what is the key, right. uh, to, to, to experience the revival that God has already promised. Amen. Very good. What, uh, you know, I, I've sat around with you many hours and we've talked about missions and we've talked about your experiences in 33 years and uh really one podcast doesn't can encapsulate everything that you've experienced you've experienced the good the bad and the ugly you've experienced hard times um and you've been the lowest of times even as a missionary and what would you tell younger men um about what has kept you in missions during the hard times you've seen people come and go you've seen other missionaries um, that have decided to make other decisions to leave missions, maybe, maybe good reasons or other opportunities. And then may, some of them may have been because of hard times. What, uh, what has kept you in missions during the hard times? The good times. Um, I crave the good times and I love the, the good times, watching, uh, watching lives change, watching people grow, um, being a part of something that is eternal and and is huge. Um, you know. It, it becomes part of your your DNA. It becomes part of uh, of your your identity. And um, yeah, there have been difficult times. There have been uh, discouraging times. But um, there's nothing like the good times. And 
there's nothing like um, seeing transformations and 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 seeing growth. And so, I uh, I, I think when when the bad times happen, um, you just have to kind of hunker down and 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 wait the storm, but focus on the good times and. Uh, thankfully, there are much, much, much more good times than there are bad times. And uh, the impact that you make and the uh, uh, to know that uh, I look back and, and the time that I spent in Argentina and the training that I spent there and you see the work where it is today. And, you know, obviously there were many missionaries involved and many national leaders involved. It's not a it's not a one-man show, but to know that you played a small part in helping the work um, grow to where it is today and, and seeing what's happening, that, that to me uh, is the greatest, uh, the greatest feeling. I, I can't, even, can't even really explain it, that I, uh, I crave it, I love it, and um, I couldn't think of doing anything else, to be honest with you. I, I, uh, if they told me tomorrow I had to go home, I, I'd, I'd beg because uh, I love it. This is who I am. Well, in spite of all that, you've got, you've, you've been in some scary situations, um, had guns waved in your face, in your wife's face, in your child's face. Um, bad experiences, but in spite of it all, um, you didn't quit. You, you kept going forward. Would you say it, it's the call? I mean, that, that makes you, I, I think uh, some of the things that you have experienced um, uh, and, and the danger that you and your family have been in at times would cause a lot of people to say, you know what, this would be easier to go somewhere else. And I know even Josh here, he's, he's going to a place that's pretty, pretty rough, pretty dangerous. Um, how do you keep going in the middle of even physical danger and harm to your family? Well, at the end of the, at the end of the day, it really comes down to whether you, you believe what you preach or you don't. It's really that simple. And, um, you can't say that you trust God and then when the storm comes, you, you run for port. You, 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 you can't say that um, uh, you've come to impact a country or you've come to help and then uh, the first sign of struggle, you, you go back home. Uh, to me, I know God called us. Um, we know that, that we're in the will of the Lord. Um, and, uh, I've chosen, uh, we, we've had difficult times just recently, but, uh, I can, uh, to me, you can, you can focus on your loss. You can focus on your sacrifice. You can focus on the difficulties that you're facing, or you can rejoice in the fact that the devil knows where you live and, uh, you've got him upset. And I, I've chosen to, uh, to focus on the, the positive and say, uh, anytime there's a, there's a sacrifice, anytime there's a threat, anytime there's an attack, um, it's because the enemy knows that we're right where God wants us to be. 
And, you know, the bottom line is we're living in perilous times. And we're not living in perilous times on the mission field. We're, le we're living in perilous times all around the world. And so our lives are in God's hands. Uh, we, b we believe that. We trust that. And so uh, to me, um, whether I'm here in Madrid or, or if I was uh, back home in Texas, you know, God, God's got his hand on us. He's, he's protecting us. And uh, I, I just, uh, I prefer to focus in on the good things and, and, and the positive and knowing that every time and looking back through all of these years, yeah, there have been some very dark times. There have been some difficult times and it's no fun to be assaulted. It's no fun to be uh, kicked in the face and, and beaten. N none of that's fun. But yet I can look back and I see where God received glory from that. And I can also see where my ministry um, changed because of that. And so once you trust the process and understand, uh, then you recognize that, that the bad, the bad's not around forever. Uh, weeping may endure for a night, joy's coming in the morning, and, and just think on the positive. Can you um, maybe, as I, I know we're kind of getting towards the end here, give us a couple of uh, good missionary stories? Something that, um, <laughs> you know, I, I know I, it could be something funny or something, something interesting or, or a miracle that God did. I know I, I, before we started recording, I was sharing a story I can't share on the air, uh, but maybe you can give, uh, give us a, an example or, or something that happened. Um, just kind of build our faith up a little bit. Well, you know, we going back to why we do what we do and, 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 uh, the, you know, through the bad times and all of that, it, uh, there's a couple of men that come to mind uh, that I had the opportunity to serve with and 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 to know. And uh, one of them uh, I met years ago in, in Argentina. His name uh, was Raul Diaz. He's, he's now uh, passed on, but Raul was a street kid. He, he was an illiterate. Uh, basically, he was he was a bum uh, when they they reached out to him, a, a group of young people uh, witnessed to him uh, and invited him to church. He came to church uh, barefooted. Uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking a street person and uh, couldn't read, couldn't write. And uh, his story, his testimony is absolutely phenomenal. But uh, to watch uh, how God transformed his life and uh, totally changed him. And to where uh, before he passed away, actually, when I resigned as the president of the work in Argentina, uh, Brother Diasis was my successor. He became the president of the work, and uh, his son is pastoring the church that he started, a vibrant church. And you look at that and say, wow, only God could do something, uh, something like that. But the fact that you got to be a part of that story, that you... Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't witness to him, but I, I got to be a part of his, of, of his testimony. And uh, that to me is amazing. And then uh, 
more recently, uh, I had the opportunity to know a man by the name of Walter uh, in the nation of El Salvador. And uh, Walter had been one of the uh, top gang leaders uh, in one of the most vicious gangs in, in the city of San Salvador. And uh, uh, couldn't even tell you how many uh, deaths that he was responsible for. Uh, just a, a bloody, terrible life. And uh, he told me that uh, he, had, he did his first armed robbery when he was 12 years old and uh, shot his first person when he was a young teenager and just just it destroyed life. And uh, then you, you meet him later, and, and one of the most gentle, loving men that you would ever want to know, and just totally transformed by God. And it, it's, it's people like Walter, people like Raul, that keep you doing what you're doing, because this is... A transforming message that we preach. This is uh, life changing. And how cool is it to be able to preach and touch lives like that? And to me, that's that's what this is all about. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for sharing with us today, Brother Burgess. Thank you for sitting down at the table with us and sharing your wisdom and your experience. And uh, before we sign off, I'd ask that. Uh, you know, for those there, those who are listen here may feel the call uh, to missions, and uh, hopefully they feel a call to Spain. We are actively recruiting constantly. Uh, that's why this podcast started was to help us recruit for the nation of Spain. So those who are listening that are looking for a place, there's plenty of work to go around with 47 million people that are in this nation, and have Brother Tingley here, missionary to Haiti, and there's yeah. plenty of work there as well. But I would ask that you would close us out in prayer and pray for those who would be listening, that the Lord would, would touch their lives, the Lord would guide them to that person who feels a call to missions, uh, that you would pray for them right now. Well, thank you for letting me to be a part of this and, and to join in and share a bit with you. And uh, Let's pray. Jesus, your presence is so beautiful right now. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. God, I pray for each and every person that would be listening to this, uh, wherever they may be. God, to give them a confirmation for what they're seeking for. Lord, the hungry ones, I remember seeking you as a young Bible school student, wanting your perfect will. I know that there are students right now listening to this. God, I pray that your hand would touch each and every one of them. God, whether they work in global missions or whether they work in North American missions, God, help them find their mission, help them find their purpose. God, I pray that you would give us an end time influx of souls, Lord, as you promised in your word. Here in Spain, God, the needs that are so great, touch us, Jesus. Touch each and every listener, Lord, by the power of your spirit today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank Thank you for tuning in to the missions table. Please subscribe. And wait for our next podcast. When you subscribe, then you will be automatically notified and you can come down and sit with us again at the missions table.